1: And welcome to another edition of The Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre Maguire, Jimmy Murphy here. Turn,
0: Turn up your volume your your
1: Because you're about to listen to
0: the Sick, Sick Podcast. Podcast. the Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre Maguire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, the sickest
1: NHL podcast. It's gonna be sick. Welcome back to the eye test here. Post Christmas, our first edition here on another day of World Junior Hockey. Pierre and uh, man, as we speak right now, Canada just putting a whooping on Latvia. You gotta, you kind of feel bad for Latvia. I mean, they've got great fans, and you know, you don't want to see anyone get smoked like that. But it is what it is.
0: Well, this is a great Canadian team. It's not the best Canadian team I've ever seen over there, but it's a very good Canadian team, and it's led by the number one pick in this summer's draft is going to be Macron Celebrini. And, and yeah. Jimmy, he's everything you're reading about and probably more. Yeah. Um, you got to remember, he's only a 17-year-old player playing in a tournament that's usually for 18- and 19-year-olds. He's dominating as a 17-year-old. Not an easy thing to do. But this tournament is a lot different than other tournaments because mm-hmm. the Russians aren't there. Yep. And, Jimmy, it just changes the dynamic of the entire tournament because any time you play against Russia, whether you're an elite team or not, you got a chance to get beat. And yep. in the case of not being an elite team, you got a chance to get beat real bad. So it changes the dynamic. There are three standalone teams right now in Sweden, Canada, and the United States. They're the three best teams. No other team in the tournament is close. Slovakia and Czech may have something to say about it. The Finns are already 0-2. Nobody thought that would happen. The Finns right. lost to Germany today. So, you know, to make a long story short,
1: this is a different World Junior because the Russians aren't there. For sure. And speaking of, before we will get right into the World Juniors, there. I want to talk more about Celebrini. But uh, some news yesterday, Pierre, too, that uh, per the Russian president, um, the young... You know, Russian players right now that are prospects in the NHL, drafted prospects, may not be allowed to leave for, they're saying, potentially four to five years, Pierre. I mean, that's, that's tough. Well, that's going to get dent in a lot of things. Well, how about
0: the Philadelphia Flyers? Right. Um, you know, and they made the right pick. There's no question they made a real good pick. But if they don't have that player for four or five more years after right they picks. draft him. Yep that sets their development plan a little bit in disarray, right. um, and then maybe it makes the Montreal Canadiens, who took Reinbacher, the defenseman who's playing in Switzerland right now, kid from Austria. Maybe it makes their pick look a little bit better. Um, so it's it's really it's a different time in hockey. I spent a lot of time over in that part of the world trying to evaluate players and and draft them or trade for them, and you know this is probably the most Jimmy. This is the most unpredictable time, I would say that I've seen in my career um, over the last 30 plus years. It's just,
1: it's a really unpredictable time. And Pierre, you combined. So you were just talking about how there's no Russia at the world juniors. And now with that news, like are we going to see any Russians get drafted in the first two rounds?
0: Uh, I do think we will. I'm not sure we'll see them be drafted um, if they haven't already left Russia. Yeah. That's a good point. I think we will. Um, but kids that are having to go back and forth to Russia, I'm not sure we will. I don't know. I don't know that. I haven't heard that sentiment expressed, but I think based on some of the things we're hearing out of Russia right now, anything's possible.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame. You know, I mean, I get all the politics and what's going on in the world with the war, but it's a shame that these kids have to, you know, pay the price for that. But anyhow, back to this term. talking about celebrating, and, of course, you know, one of our first episodes in our on-campus segment, we had Jay Pandolfo on, and I just remember him raving about him and and just how, how much he praised him for his work ethic and him wanting to learn the game more and more each day. And I, you, you can see that in the way he plays. There's little details that he has that are beyond his years, Pierre. It's it's really fascinating. Right now as we speak, he's got a goal and three assists in this game. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the way he thinks the game and, and his positioning – it's just fascinating.
0: Well said on all fronts. He's a dominant neutral zone player defensively and offensively. He's a dominant power play player, especially as a setup man, not so much as a gunner, but as a setup man, a little like Nick Backstrom with the Washington mm-hmm. Capitals. They're little parts to Macklin Celebrini's game that mimic a lot of great players in the league. So there's a peripheral vision quality to his game that reminds me a lot of Peter Forsberg. I'm not saying he's Peter Forsberg, but there's a peripheral vision part to his game that reminds me of Forsberg. There's a passing component to his game that reminds me of Nick Backstrom. Mm -hmm. There's a neutral zone component to his game that reminds me of so many great wingers I've seen over time,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but he's a centerman. So, you know, I mean, there's components to his game that are just awesome. Is he as explosive as Nathan McKinnon? He is not. Is he as explosive um, as Sidney Crosby? There's some similarities. Does he have some of the creative genius of Connor Bedard? Yes, he does. So, I mean, there's little things uh, that he does. Is he as fast as Connor McDavid? He is not. Is he? He is not. But is he fast? Yes, he is. So I, he's a. He is. I'm getting close to being ready to label him a generational player. I, it took me a long time to do that to Connor Bedard, and he clearly is one. I mean, there's no question, Jimmy. I'm getting really close to be able to say that about Mac when celebrating. That—that's how good a player I think he is. Muted rookie mistake. <laughs> You'll have to start over again, young man. Yeah.
1: So basically what I was saying was I see you guys, oops, sorry about that, guys. I see you uh, in the chat room right now to our viewers. We will get to you in a second. I just want to touch on some NHL action tonight because there are 14 games across the board. The You know, the teams are coming back from the holiday break. Mm-hmm. And right out of the gate here, there's some really important games and matchups. And, you know, you and I want to start off with the Pittsburgh Penguins at the New York Islanders. And, you know, as we discussed in a few episodes heading into the break, it's do or die time for this Pittsburgh Penguins team.
0: So they're playing at Long Island, uh, tonight. And then before the new year's Eve, they're playing against the Islanders at home in Pittsburgh. You mean, I will tell you this right now, that's about as large a four point type of game situation that the Pittsburgh Penguins will have faced before game 35 of this regular season. And they better make sure they don't drop the ball. You know, last Saturday night they played in Ottawa Ottawa had to win. They just lost six straight on the road. Uh, they come back home. They get their first win for Jacques Martin. They do it an extra time. I get it. And so Pittsburgh gets a point. They don't give up two. They get a point. But now for Pittsburgh, the Islanders, if they want to catch them in the division, in the Metro, they're seven back. Mm-hmm. They're seven points back. They've got to win these next two games against the Islanders to make it realistic. If they don't and the Islanders win both, I don't think Pittsburgh can catch them. And then you got a big problem if you're Pittsburgh.
1: Well, and the thing too, even if let's say they they get these four points against the Islanders, right? But you know, still a lot of hockey to be played here, and there's so many teams in between them and those play that playoff spot. That find, I'm talking just a wild card spot too. And you know, we we've been starting to hear before the break. We discussed it a bit heading into the holiday roster freeze. You know, the trade chatter was picking up a bit. We're expecting maybe things might happen a little earlier than usual this season, just because of all these teams being condensed there in the standings. But it's just like there's so many, you, you, you know, when the end of the season, when you get into the final month, Pierre, and, you know, you get those teams that are battling for the wild card spot. And, it, and a lot of them always have to depend on other things to happen. Mm-hmm. They're already at that spot. And that's going to be tough when you're heading, you know, you're not even 40 games into the season and you're praying for other things to happen that are out of your control. That's a tough spot to be in.
0: They're praying for Philadelphia to come back to earth, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. I don't believe. I really don't believe that. John Tortorello's done a magnificent job there as a coach, and a lot of those players uh, deserve a lot of credit in Philadelphia. They really do. So hats off to them. But I don't think they're going to come back to earth anytime soon. The Washington Capitals, after a terrible start, they're starting to get going again, Jimmy. I mean, Tampa Bay has won seven of their last ten. So, you know, a lot of people, well, Tampa's not going to – well, no, Tampa's probably going to make it. You know, so (laughs) you start to look at it for Pittsburgh. The options are shrinking, and yeah. that's why this two-game set before they, we get to New Year's Eve. This next two-game set with the New York Islanders is critical, I think, to their well-being as an organization this season.
1: Yeah, it sets the tone, and and, and by the way, too, like a lot of people, I, I see fans on social media too, some Penguins fans saying, you know, maybe we should just say, say this is a wash and start. They're not gonna they're not gonna say it's a wash here oh, okay. because as we discuss. They went shopping in the off season big time. They didn't do that to halfway, you know, not even halfway through the season to say forget about it.
0: No, this is really important for Pittsburgh Penguin fans. They went all in to get Eric Carlson. They yep. went all in to try to win the cup. That's what the new management team told the owners when they were hired. We're in this to win it, and that that was music to the ears of the of the owners of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Of and right now, that's not happening. Yeah. And, you know, when an airplane takes off, Jimmy, you can never sell that seat again. It's a highly disposable thing. Okay. <laughs> you don't, yeah. when you don't make playoffs like the Pittsburgh Penguins didn't make last year, and you've got Sidney Crosby as an over 35 year old player, and you got Evgeny Malkin over 35 years of age, and you got Christopher Latang pushing those magic numbers of 35 plus you're starting to get like that airplane that will never sell those seats again. So every season that you're going without playoffs with Crosby, Malkin and the Tang being there, you got a problem. And then you add Carlson and you don't have a plethora of young prospects. You got a problem.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure this is going to be a hot topic for the rest of the season. Pierre. Another thing that we think should be a hotter topic right now is what Austin Matthews is doing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's doing it in the biggest, arguably the biggest hockey market. I know no offense, Montreal. I, I go with Montreal, but, Uh, you know, it's an argument to have one of the biggest hockey markets in the world. And it's just seems like it's kind of under the radar is kind of strong, but it's, it's not getting the love you would think. No,
0: it's not. I think as we go forward, it will. One of the things that I think they've done Sheldon Keefe and his coaching staff, that's really smart. They stopped playing politics and try to put Austin Matthews with the very best players he could be with. So you put Matthew Nyes on that line. You already have obviously, uh, tremendous chemistry there with Mitchell Marner and Austin Matthews. And so then you had the big body and the skating and Matthew nice. And all of a sudden you got this line that's virtually unstoppable and they're just stockpiling points. And Matthews is stockpiling goals. It shouldn't be a foreign concept though. It was two years ago that he had 60 goals. You know, last year he's got 40 goals. I mean, so this guy's going to get at least 50 this year. I think 70 is well within the realm of possibility, especially if Marner and he keep up the chemistry and the addition of knives has helped a lot. Um, but to me, it also says one other thing about Austin Matthews. He's tired of reading all the negative press about how he doesn't care. Yeah, This guy cares a lot. He is, he is a passionate, winning kind of guy, and he cares a ton. He do really you,
1: does. Do you put him in a selfie conversation as well?
0: Uh, I used to be able to do that. I don't know if I'll do it right away this year. But it's something that I, I think we should all monitor. And it's a great question because I can tell you when Donnie Granada was running USA hockey, I used to go in there and, and break down tape with him when we'd have Red Wing games with Doc Emmerich, Eddie Olchuk, and I used to do the NBC Games of the Week. And we had Detroit on a lot. And I'd go in and, and watch tape with Donnie um in, in Michigan. And the one thing that stood out, and I, I said this to Donnie at the time, I said, I had the privilege, and it was a privilege, to coach Ronnie Francis. And I said, he reminds me a lot of Ronnie Francis um, with more speed. Yeah. Now, Ronnie's a Hall of Fame player. It's not like Ronnie was a terrible, Ronnie was an amazing player. He was a winner. And yeah. to say that about Austin Matthews, for me, that had the privilege of working with Ronnie when he was an elite player, I think says a lot about Austin Matthews. And uh, I-, I do think at one point in his career, he will be recognized for how great a defensive player he is.
1: I'm with you. All right, well, let's get over to our questions right now because we are pressed for time today. Uh, so let's throw some up there. What do we got? Ooh, Marvin Matthews, is there a 17-year-old USA player that compares to Celebrini? Great great question, Pierre.
0: 17-year-old, I, would, I can't say a 17-year-old US-born player, um, but what I would say very easily, I remember a 16-year-old kid by the name of Crosby who was pretty good and a 17-year-old kid by the name of Crosby who played... With Patrice Bergeron uh, and Corey Perry in the year World Junior Sydney's draft year, and there was a lot of similarities between Celebrini and Crosby. I will say this: I think at the same age, Sid was a little bit better. I, I I'm mm-hmm. comfortable saying that. That's not a knock on Macklin Celebrini, by the way.
1: Yeah, it, it, look, and that's not a knock on USA Hockey either. There's still great players coming out through the pipeline. Oh there, it, it, it's it's unreal what their program is becoming. You know, we've discussed it many times on this show, but you know, I, I love looking at the teams. You were just mentioning the favorites there in Sweden, Canada, and the U.S. But you listen to people outside of the U.S. now talk about USA. Yeah. It, it wasn't that way when I was growing up or when you were yeah. growing up here, and it's it's pretty impressive.
0: Well, I remember their breakthrough. Their breakthrough year was 2004. That was when Sidney Crosby was 16 years of age, and the Americans uh, had Al Montoya in goal. Um, they had, you know, tremendous players like Ryan Kessler playing on their team. Um, but the truth of the matter was it was Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter that really helped put them all at to the top and Mark Stewart, who I believe was a captain of that team. But John Hines was an assistant coach in that team. Mike Eaves was the head coach of that team. They were good, but they didn't have like superstar guys. You'd say, oh, this guy's a can't miss. You're going to see. They didn't have that. But I guess Cole Eiserman is a guy that's close to Celebrini. And event- we'll see whether their teammates are not down the road at BU. Um, whether Celebrini goes back or not but he's not on this team and i don't i still don't think he's as that same type of player as Celebrini
1: but the fact that he's not on it it says a lot about how it's stacked well,
0: yeah, so here's what it is it, Ryan, you look at okay cutter Gauthier is really good like he, yeah. he's he's an nhl player. when this season's over he's going to be in philadelphia he's a oh, yeah. NHL player uh, Ryan Leonard, Washington Capitals, first-round pick, he's an NHL player. Will Smith, San Jose uh, Sharks player, he's an NHL player. I mean, you can go down the line of the American players. Lane mm-hmm. Hudson's going to play in the NHL uh, for Montreal Canadiens. So there's a lot of really, really high-end players on this American team, a lot, right. of really. And the goalies are crazy. Yep. Augustine and Fowler are, are probably the two best goalies in the, in the tournament, and they're yep. both in the same team.
1: I, I want to say, though, speaking of goalies, Pierre, and I'm kind of sidetracking here, You've been pretty impressed with the Canada side between the pipes, haven't you?
0: Yeah, Russo's been really good. He's a kid from uh, blainville Boisbriand which is just north of Montreal. He's a little undersized. And I hate to do this to young players that are undersized in that position. They don't always get a fair shot. This is an undrafted player right now. But there's a lot of UC Saros in that kid. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, like UC Saros, is a really good goalie. You ask Barry Trotz, you ask Andrew Brunette, you ask the guys working down in Nashville. He's a, he's our go-to guy in that I'm not saying Russo's going to be that guy, but there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there even though he's an undersized guy. It depends on
1: whether you have an appetite for taking small goalies or not. Right. Right, I'm with you on that. Hey, we got uh, we're working on getting a question up here cuz it just went to me personally on Twitter okay. so the boys are going to put it up in a bit. But Pierre, I want to get back to uh, kind of com- combination of NHL and World Juniors topic here. You know, we were talking off the air about the Arizona Coyotes and you cool. look at some of the guys they got going in this tournament right now. And the future they have, uh, you know, they're, they're playing the Colorado Avalanche tonight. And here, I would say at this point, it's not the sure shot win for the Colorado Avalanche that it has been over the years when they go into Arizona to play the Coyotes. No, first of all, Mullet Arena is a really hard building to go. And I've seen pro games there and I've seen
0: college games there. That's that's a tough place, number one. Number two, Arizona. Uh, Andre Tourney, the coach there is not getting enough love. That yeah. man is doing a tremendous job with his staff out there. He really is. And, and I think when you look at Bill Armstrong, Ryan Jankowski, John Ferguson, Jr., they've got some really good hockey people in place with a lot of experience mm-hmm. who I think have done a nice job. And, and I'll give you an example. You talked about depth at the World Junior. Connor Geeky's played tremendous.
1: Geeky's oh, uh, he,
0: He's been. He's a power yeah. 4 He's been yeah. really good. Maverick Lamoureux, is a six foot seven defenseman that can log big minutes. And and Sammy Lipkin, he's not playing in this tournament this year. He played last year for Team USA. He's a star player, one of the leading scorers in ECAC right now, playing at Quinnipiac. Won a national championship last year. That's just three guys that we're touching on that have tentacles into the world junior. Yep. They, they've done a nice job, Jimmy. They really have quietly um, getting players. Uh, Matthias Michelli,
1: he, he's a. He's a tremendous NHL player. Yep. Never gets talked about. No, no. It's great. The the timing of it is great too, Pierre, right? Because of what's going on with the whole arena situation and just the future (laughs) of that organization. To have this team start to show hope on the ice and potential there, it it must be great for, you know, the the people behind the scenes there because it's kind of a distraction and it's a a good distraction at that.
0: If you look at... We just talked about Austin Matthews. Can he get the 70 goals? He's from Scottsdale, Arizona. Yep. Matthew Nyes, his linemate, he's from Scottsdale, Arizona. Josh Doan, who's drafted by Arizona and is playing mm-hmm. for their farm team in Houston, he's from Arizona. I mean, I, so Arizona – Commissioner Bettman had this right, by the way. He, and a lot of people like to give him a hard time. He got it right with the expansion footprint. If you look at how many players are coming out of Southern California – if you look at how many players are coming out of Arizona, if you start to look at some of the players coming out of Nevada, you see some of the players that have come out of Texas, look at the players that are coming out of Florida right now. You know They're all tied into NHL teams going there and then this footprint expanding because of the talented athletes that see hockey, love hockey, decide to play hockey, and become really good at it. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I think and I hope that Arizona can maintain a team. They need to get a rink to do that.
1: But if they can, Jimmy, that would be huge news for the league. It would be tremendous for hockey. really would. And I remember, Pierre, I think it was maybe our last episode or one right before we were talking about the Whalers and, and then Connecticut hockey. And you made yeah. a great point, too, there. The players that go to play in these places, usually because the weather's not so nice, they can golf a lot, they end up uh, staying down there, right? And, yeah. and, and then they produce hockey players, you know, whether it's their sons or whether they start coaching. And, and so – they really just sort of filter out into the grassroots level of hockey there. And I'm with you. Look, do, do I think, you know, if we reach a point that sooner or later, you got to reach a point and say, all right, it's either put up or shut up with the arena thing in Arizona, but that doesn't mean that it was the wrong move to go there in the first place. No. And I'm with you. I know a lot of people don't like Gary Bettman out there, but you got to give credit where it's due. He nailed it on these teams and, and, And part of them going there was to spread the game and build the game of hockey in the United States, and he's done that. So you got to give him credit.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. If you're an owner, you really like him because franchise values have just gone unbelievably through the roof. When I first started in the league, uh, the NHL was a $500 million a year business. That's what it was. It was a $500 million a year business. Here we are 34 years later. It's a $5.2 billion-a-year business. Wow. $5.2 billion. There used to be uh, 60 full-time employees at the NHL offices between Montreal, Toronto, and New York. Now they're over 500. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the league has done very well under Commissioner Bedman, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think it's part of why he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That being said, think about it. How's expansion worked out in Nevada? Pretty good. Oh, yeah. Lot of, first te- First professional team to go in there. I think expansion with Seattle's worked out pretty well, Jimmy. Yep. Pretty well. There's been one failed expansion franchise, Atlanta. Yeah, and yet they might go back there. One never knows. It, it, it's a viable market. If you yep. look at some of these Coast League teams that are down, whether it's in Savannah, whether it's in Greenville, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida, you know, I, I coached one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, and it's yeah, it's seven thousand people a night. Lexi Mississippi, where Bruce Boudreaux coached, they used to sell out those games. Uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana, they get 14,000 people for hockey. I think hockey could work in the South. You just got to get the right ownership group and the right people running it. But I don't know why Atlantic couldn't work. I just don't know.
1: I'm with you. All right, let's go back to the questions here because we have about eight minutes left. Yep. Uh, let's throw one up. All right, Michael Sullivan. He's, he does a great job uh, covering the Bruins for some outlets here in Boston. Uh, Love the pod. Do you think Poitras' experience on the defensive end of the game and playing meaningful minutes in the third, closing out games, is helping his case to play that same role when he comes back to Boston? Pierre, I I think we answered this when he went there. Great question. Good
0: points. Michael, fantastic. That's so spot on. I think that's part of why the Bruins want him to go. The other thing, too, is you're playing in your own peer group. So you're scrutinized a lot, but you're not going to get out-muscled. More times than not, you're not going to get out-muscled. In the NHL, you could see, and I brought it up to Jimmy. It's ironic, Jimmy. You we're talking about Arizona. I called you that Saturday afternoon. I was up in Canada. It yeah. was freezing and snowing. I said, Jimmy, they got to do something with this guy because he, yeah. he's overwhelmed right now. And that happens. He's 18, 19 year. He's 19. 19-year-old 19 kid. It, it happens. So I actually think this is smart. I do think it will help him defensively. But I think one of the other reasons why the Bruins want him there,
1: to get him to dominate with the puck. And if you've watched them play, he's dominating. Tonight, he scored again tonight, too. I mean, I know it's a blowout, but he scored again. So, And just quickly before we go to the next question, too, I want to talk about this with you maybe next episode, okay? I want you to think about this because I don't know. I was giving it a thought. Maybe I'm nuts. If he comes back and he he can't – he. They still don't see what they need at center. Do you put them at wing? Or does that stunt his development? I'd, right? I'd have to think about okay. that, right? Okay.
0: I don't want to be too quick on that
1: one. All right. We, we'll give it some time. All right. Let's go to the next question. Right on Twitter. Uh, this is from Zombie. Great name. Right on Twitter. I know, I know that some pro scouts still think Lane Hudson won't be able to handle the play in the NHL. Thoughts?
0: Well, a lot of NHL scouts said that about a lot of undersized defense. But I remember one guy, his name is Brian Rafalski, who was never drafted out of the University <laughs> of Wisconsin, had to go spend, I think, four or five years playing in Sweden and Finland, came back and was a pretty good player for the New Jersey Devils. Um, I remember a kid that played at Harvard. His name's Adam Fox. A lot of people wondered, you know, if he's going to play drafted by Calgary, traded to Carolina, eventually finds his way. To the New York Rangers is one of Norris Trophy, probably making, you know, eight to nine million dollars a year. Never affected him. Lane Hudson needs muscle mass. Brain wise, skill wise, intelligence wise, in terms of hockey, there are no issues. So once he adds seven to 15 pounds of muscle mass, which he will do. No, I don't think that's going to be an issue. And I think you agree with me, Jimmy.
1: Yeah, totally agree with you. And I mean, it's just the way the game is now. It's not size is important. Don't get us wrong. But it, it can be compensated for if you got the skill. Jimmy,
0: he's not going to be on the ice in the last two minutes of a game defending a one-goal lead. No. You know, no. but if you're down by a goal, he's going to be on the ice all the time. In the exactly. Last minutes of the game. And so, on the power so, play. Know, that's sure. how, that's how, I ran an NHL bench with the defense in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, and matchups are really important. So you got to know that you got to be an expert on the six guys that are sitting in front of you and you're about to put on the ice. And every guy's got a strength and every guy's got a weakness. So mm-hmm. you got to make sure you play to the strength and weaknesses of the guy you're putting on the ice. And in his case, Lane Hudson,
1: the offensive magic is overwhelming. It's just yeah. overwhelming. It's great. And I'm so excited for Montreal Canadiens fans. They're going to love them up there. All right, Pierre. Uh, I think we got one more here and we might be out. Ooh, great question. Uh, Shane Oliver, who's been a regular listener. We appreciate it, Shane. Uh, the eye test. How does the USHL get players like Adam Gagen? I hope I'm pronouncing the name no, right, Okay, to come to North America, and why USHL over CHL?
0: Well, I, in this case, Adam Gagin is a player drafted in the second round by the Chicago Blackhawks. He's a tremendous goalie for the Slovaks. Um, I think the biggest thing is that maybe Chicago Blackhawks might push for that, or he has an agent that works with him that says – Rather than go here, we want you to play more minutes there. The USHL is a formidable league, um, you know, just like the BCHL. I I think the two best leagues for developing college players, the BCHL, we've already had Fred Harbison on, and yep. the USHL. And I've, I've seen a whack of games in both leagues for a lot of years. Um, and so, I, I, you know, we talked about Bob – we talked with Bob Monsko. That's right. Yeah. USHL, as a player, as a coach. Yeah. You know, and, and – so and he recruits players out of the BC League, he recruits players out of the USHL. And so I think they're all really good leagues. But for Adam Gage in particular, I think he might have had an agent
1: that put him there or he might have had Chicago pushing for him to go to the USHL this situation. Yep. Yeah. And look, too, I want to say about the USHL, and I don't know if we have time here to really get into the history and the transgression of it here, but I remember back when I was uh you know coming out of high school, um, a good friend of mine, Chris Masters, you might know him, runs a junior Bruins. Yep, and so he went out before – he was going to play at BC, but he went out and did a year in Dubuque uh, before he ended up at BC. And back then, people were like, Dubuque, USHL, what is this? And what now it's just it's so common that these kids do this for a year before they go to their college team.
0: So let's just – another person we had on the eye test, Greg Brown. Mm-hmm. Greg Brown has been an assistant coach at Boston College after a tremendous pro career. Both here in North America and in Europe, and a tremendous collegiate career as a player um, and an Olympian. Then he went and became an assistant coach with the New York Rangers, working you know in a situation which was started as a rebuild and eventually ended up being a major rebuild. He gets fired, and you know where he goes? His next job? Dubuque. Yep. He's the head coach of Dubuque Saints. He it did. He coached in Dubuque for one year, and now he's the head coach of. Depending on the week, either number one, number two, or number three in the NCAA. Yeah. It's a tremendous
1: coach. Yeah. It works so coach. the coach. He went from the NHL to yeah. the NHL. There you go. I know it's it's come a long way. It's a great league, great yeah. feeder league. Well, listen, we're, we're short today. We got we're both pressed for time, but we will go longer for an hour. And you know, I think Pierre, since we're doing all these questions a lot on, on Wednesdays, I'm gonna start to do this a little more often, but we'll we'll have an announcement to make on Friday about that. Uh, But until then, I want to wish everybody, I hope you're enjoying your holidays. I hope a lot of you haven't had to go back to work yet. You're kicking back, watching some hockey, watching some college football. And uh, we will talk to you at 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday. We'll go four to five live so you can line up the questions again. I'll tweet it out again before we get there. And Pierre, uh, I'm glad that you're back from Ireland and glad you had a good time. Did you hear any Pogues over there?
0: You know what? It was amazing how many people were talking about the Pogues. Yeah, Um, he was a legend. in a new year's or sorry on christmas eve um they always have a free concert uh down in the square in the main part of the square yeah near yep. st Stephen square i didn't go to it but i understand it was a celebration of of the pogues so yeah
1: i saw it on twitter and they all sing fairy tale new york there was about a thousand people singing it was so it's pretty amazing i think i sent
0: you a picture from right near there
1: yeah With i love those pictures yeah. yeah
0: that's great and
1: i had my senses
0: and my wits about me too jimmy so it was all
1: <laughs> i'm sure you're like my co-host james patrick murphy is gonna appreciate these pictures for sure <laughs> someday i'll get over there all right well listen it's been another edition of the eye test here on the sick podcast network i'm jimmy murphy he's pierre mcguire we'll talk to you next time
0: and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time Follow The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.